welcome. Um, for those of you who don't recognize me, I'm Tony Bernhardt. I'm a friend of Sylvia's, and it's, it is on. Oh, it's right up here at my neck. Maybe I need to talk louder. Last night it was at Folsom Prison, and in the chapel they don't have any air conditioning, so the fans were all, you know. So it was. So last night it was like I was talking to an auditorium. There were three people, but <laughs> but you couldn't be heard over the fans. So this morning I can. Um, in any case, I I show up here occasionally when Sylvia's off watching Grand Opera or partying. And um, let me just start, because I know that there are, there's at least one announcement, and there may be four, and this is the time when usually we have announcements. So, well, I'll get, go ahead. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
uh, over 50, but we don't have enough women under 50, and we don't have enough men. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you know, well, when I do this, even at Monday night class, I get a handful of recruits, and of those handfuls, only a handful come. So, so this is a kind of long slot. It's a lot easier when everybody is sitting up at the top of the hill, and they just have to walk down this would be This would be taking blood in the back. So, does anybody um, you know who might be? I'm really glad to be here. And I just as someone who proof of past lives, I was a social scientist in a past life to to make a, a pitch for Cliff's project because and recognize the difficulties it is to do field research. So um, if you've already thought, nah just to encourage you to reconsider that nah. So I'd like to start this morning with a sort of a disclaimer, which is that um, what I'm going to talk about this morning is definitely not the way the Theravadan tradition would present this material. Um, it's it's pretty much my, my own thinking. Um, I've I've found myself drifting away from the tradition itself because it seems to me to require a kind of a suspension of disbelief, if not an outright acceptance and and, uh, embracing things that, ideas that can't be experienced in this lifetime. And so I've been exploring uh, on my own and I wanted to talk about the uh, the worldly dharmas. First time I ever filled in for Sylvie was my gosh, in the late '90s sometime, and I remember presenting some material on the worldly dharmas, and I thought it would be, I don't know, 15 years later, worth revisiting. And um, so I started with, well, let me just let me just rattle them off really quickly so that you know sort of generally the direction. The whirly dharmas, there are eight of them that occur in four four pairs. Um, uh, usually they're translated as uh, pleasure, pain, gain, loss, praise, blame, and 
the last one, which is usually presented as um, fame and disrepute. Uh, and I don't know, maybe the, 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 that was a translation that uh, came at a time when fame only came with repute. Um, but I, I, I uh, render as uh, um, recognition and disregard. I went back to the. I started with uh, with the um, looking at the Pali uh, language that was used in the in the uh, sutta that describes in the Anguttara Nikaya, and the the, the first uh, of these couplets, pray, uh, pleasure pain, uh, is a rendering of the Pali words sukha and dukkha. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So I went back to look at the uh, the the definition of dukkha. What it, you know, we 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 all are familiar with with what are referred to as the four noble truths, or maybe we aren't all, but we've heard about them somewhere. You know, the truth of the 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 truth of suffering, the the origin of suffering, the cessation, uh, and the path to the cessation. Um, and so I went back to look at them. I'm not, I actually am not thrilled with the translation, with the, with the labeling them as noble truths, because this, the, these teachings are, uh, are scattered throughout the, the uh, Pali canon, and only a couple of times are they presented as, with, with the phrase, Arya Sacha, noble truth, um, identifying them. And uh, Stephen Batchelor has sort of stopped. He, he th- just calls them the four. Uh, but I think of them as the four teachings, really, the, the, the Buddha's primary, primary teachings. So I went to look up what, what, uh, what dukkha, how dukkha is presented, how the Buddha presented dukkha as represented in the, the, the first sermon. This is Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation. Now this, bhikkhus, monks, is the noble truth of suffering. Birth is suffering, aging is suffering, illness is suffering, death is suffering, union with what is displeasing is suffering. That means getting what you don't want. Um, Separation from what is pleasing is suffering. That's losing what you've got that you like. And separate, and not to get what one wants is suffering. Uh, pain, sorrow, lamentation, despair are suffering. In brief, the five aggregates subject to clinging are suffering. And that list is, it's an interesting list. And I know that people have stumbled over the, you know, birth, aging, death, those things seem to be existential, and then not getting what you want seems to be somehow different. As I looked at that list, I thought, there is something that's common to all of these items here that isn't usually noticed, and that is that they're all unpleasant. Birth, well, we may not remember, but almost every account, you know, First thing people do when they're born, us too, was to scream and go, "No, 
<laughs> you know, Mark Twain said once, you know, um, why do people rejoice at births and, and, and mourn at deaths? He said, I guess it's because they're not the parties involved. <laughs> But birth is suffering, aging, illness is suffering, unpleasant, unpleasant. Death can be, I guess, I don't know, not yet anyway. Having to bear what you don't like, unpleasant. Losing what you like, unpleasant. Not getting what you want, not pleasant. Pain, sorrow, lamentation, despair. Unpleasant. I thought, well, that's interesting. This, th- that's, a, that's just a, a naked quality of experience, pleasant and unpleasant. It's one of the skandhas. You know, it's sort of hardwired into our body. Vedana, which is the feeling tone, um, is built in. I thought that's interesting. Unpleasant experience by itself isn't necessarily un- isn't necessarily suffering. You know, we're taught that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. It's one of the one of the uh, phrases. I thought, well, it's interesting. But these experiences, they're the they're the objects. These are the kind of experiences themselves, when we look at them, that are labeled as dukkha. Ajahn Jumian talks about uh, how desire works. He said, it's like the moth and the flame. The moth only sees the flame. Everything else is dark. And it flies right into it. Just like the object of our desire. What the moth doesn't see is its own compulsion to fly into the flame. The origin of suffering, the second teaching, or the second truth, the second teaching is that the origin or the, the condition for dukkha is tanha, is, that, is, is translated as craving. It's the desiring, wanting things to be not unpleasant. So it's that tanha which converts unpleasant experience. And tanha is not, this is not a morally bad thing. I think it's probably encultured in our organism over evolutionary time, those of our ancestors who preferred pleasant experience to unpleasant experience would probably have had a better chance of surviving (laughs) to pass on their genes than if you woke up in the morning and said, you know, how can I make myself miserable? (laughs) And we, we sort of don't do that. So I think it's an it's it's an uh, a quality of the organism. This tanha, it's a survival thing. One of the kinds of tanha, uh, uh, bawa tanha, is a, the, the the craving to be, the su- survival kind of impulse. It's built into the organism, and when this tanha, which we experience as a a need, a want, a thirst, actually is a is a good translation of tanha, when when this tanha uh, appears, it transforms unpleasant experience into dukkha. 
And the third teaching is that the cessation is possible. And actually, the cessation in the in the in the text is the cessation of tanha, the craving. And the path, the path to the cessation, or actually, I think of it as the way of being, without um, without suffering. Uh, the Eightfold Path, um, you know, is a... I talk about basketballs last week. You know, it's a basketball. We talk about basketballs in my group in Davis. So the Eightfold Path, is, it's like an Eightfold Path, and everybody thinks that it's fragmented into eight folds. But a basketball, you know, here's the Eightfold Basketball. It's brown, it's a sphere, it's got little dimples on it, it's made of rubber, it's filled with compressed air, it's about 15 inches across or so, is that right? And it weighs a couple pounds, give or take, is that eight? You know, it's, it's, a, it's an entity, it's a thing. You can't just play basketball with the brown, you know. Um, but for conceptual purposes, we can distinguish these qualities. And so the, the Eightfold Path is like that. It's not a one-fold path, it's an eightfold path. And it involves all, all eight elements. So the first of these um, worldly dharmas, sukha and dukkha, uh, pleasure and pain, is how they're rendered, or happiness and suffering, dukkha. Uh, we're t- we're looking at uh, conditions that bat us around. Now they arise and pass. Pleasure, pain. They're in us. Achan Chai used to say the worldly dharmas are, are in us. They aren't out in the world. No. Um, and they occur at, the, at the, the different sense gates, but they occur in us. You know the old question, if a tree falls in the forest and there's nobody there to hear it, does it make a sound? Um... Well, you know, sound occurs in our neurology. Other things are happening out there in the woods. There's whatever we think is happening, but sound occurs in our neurology. If there's no neurorobotic organism out there to register it, it's, it, I don't, it doesn't, sweet is not particularly in sugar. Sugar is not sweet. Sugar is just a chemical. Sweet occurs in our in our neurology. The worldly dharmas are in us, tanha, the desire for things. And so we've got these we've got these things built in the the, the preference for pleasant experience at each of the sense doors. So we sort of like physical comfort gets too warm, we turn the thermostat down. Pleasant, you know? Waikiki Beach, pleasant, in terms at least of the, the, the uh, uh, ambient weather. Um, we like pleasant sound. Nails on a blackboard can be kind of unpleasant. Um, we like you know, the smell of, of Good cooking or incense. We don't particularly like the smell of restrooms and 
know, pleasant, unpleasant. It's built into the organism. And although although we think of pleasant, unpleasant often, mostly, maybe even mostly, in terms of the physical senses, most of our problems are related to the mind. And the Buddha, for the Buddha, the mind was the sixth sixth sense gate, and it represents. It shows up as uh, in in the aggregates as sanya, as perception as view, as narrative, as story. Um, it's th- it's the, the, the interpretation that the brain presents to itself of the world, the map. And actually that's, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> you know, most of our, our unpleasant experience in the world is there. I like to think, I mean, if you look around, really, we're living in the heaven realms. But we've got the soundtrack from hell, and it makes us miserable. And pleasant and unpleasant views, or I use the term views, but it's stories or... um, opinions, things that are pleasant or unpleasant, they stand by themselves. We, we get distracted by what they're pointing at. You know, people, there's an old aphorism about Zen as a finger pointing at the moon. And, uh, but if you mistake the finger for the moon, you know, I, I have students who I occasionally say to, too many fingers, not enough moon. <laughs> Um, there's a, a passage from something by Tan Jeff. He was a, a monk who lives in Southern California and has translated huge quantities of the Pali Canon and put it online, so you may be familiar with him. But he says, a view or an idea or a thought or a story or a narrative... A view is true or false only when one is judging how accurately it refers to something else. If one is regarding it simply as a statement, as an event in and of itself, the question of true and false no longer applies. It's just a statement. And yet, view can be pleasant or unpleasant. Just a thought can be pleasant or unpleasant. Probably the thought of, oh, say, Rush Limbaugh. Global warming, unpleasant. Unpleasant. Edward Snowden, well, different, different reactions. For some people, pleasant. Some people, unpleasant. It's just a view. And so view, understanding, story, these things, pleasant, unpleasant, they occur in our mind and we get reactive to them. We talked last, last week, we were talking about the, the skandhas and sanya and sankara. You know, we basically perceive and we react to our own internal perception. And 
That makes sense? And we're, you know, we get reactive to that. And we notice that, and then we react to that. And we notice that, and we react to that. That's, <laughs> and that's how we, <laughs> we spend a lot of our time. Um, so when we, as we second-guess ourselves. And, and the unpleasant stuff, you know, Rush Limbaugh or global warming or whatever, unpleasant stuff, we react to the way we react to unpleasant things. How do we react to unpleasant things? Well, you know, there's sometimes just straight out denial, just look somewhere else. Um, We can indulge in comfort food or other kinds of pleasures to sort of cover it up, sort of where the third precept is aiming, where we can uh, uh, anesthetize ourselves somehow, yeah, which is where the fifth precept is, is aiming. Uh, or we can, you know, in, create a counter-irritant. We can get angry, <laughs> you know. It's like scratching a mosquito bite, which actually, if you pay attention to the scratching, not pleasant. It's, a, it, it's unpleasant, but it overwhelms the itch. Um, so, you know, we get an unpleasant thought and we talk back to ourselves often. And we, oh, I don't like that, you know. We evaluate. But pleasant and unpleasant occur in the mind, in views we like, stories that are have happy endings. You can't make a lot of money with a Hollywood movie that doesn't sort of have at least an upbeat ending People just don't want to go see it more than once. <laughs> you know, um, we like our stories pleasant. We like our endings happy. Um, if we like a touch of realism, we like you know after after twenty minutes of no- of news, we get three minutes of a warm fuzzy at the end of the you know, something to you know, pleasant and unpleasant. Egypt's not pleasant, but the kid who overcomes... See, you know, the story that last week of the, the kid with one arm who's got just got an NCAA scholarship to Kentucky to play basketball? You know, feels good. You know, we like good stories. We like the happy views. We don't like the unhappy views. Please. Mm-hmm. 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 Loves roller coasters. The scarier, the better. But you know, you're locked in, and really, not much is probably going to happen. At least that you could think of at age twelve. So it's really fun, even though it's scary, and she screams, and you know. Mm-hmm. 
And well, we're doing there, but for the grace of God, kind of stuff. Yeah. We wouldn't like it if we were in that crash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not really a, a therapist. That's my guess. It is. Well, well, take a look at it. Do you find those things attractive yourself? Do you find yourself looking, or or do you find yourself looking away from the crash? Or do you find yourself looking to see just what happened? Mm-hmm. Oh, I just... It's those moments to investigate what's going on when you find yourself attracted to or having aversion to pleasant and unpleasant. Because that's really, it's an opportunity um, to watch our organism at work. And actually it's helpful too because when you, <clears throat> when you watch, you're not as likely to get sucked up into it, you know. Um, the cessation, the third, the third teaching is, uh, the Buddha says, the unshakable liberation is best. Also, but we can settle for a little shaky one, you know, let's see. Of all the kinds of signless deliverance of mind, the unshakable deliverance of mind is pronounced the best. But we can get by with a little bit of shaking, you know. So, and that, and we move towards being unshakable as we learn more. So it's, those opportunities are a great time to, to take a look and just see what's, how we're, you know, how Tanha works. And it's really clear in the pleasant, unpleasant stuff. And, and, and noticing views as, just as views. You know, the Buddha, the Buddhists talk to, um, Bahia. I think, I'm, I think I brought this up last week too. It's my favorite of his Dharma talks because this is shortest, you know, um, in the seeing only the seeing, in the hearing only the hearing, in the touching and the tasting, in the smelling, and in the thinking, in the cognizing, in the knowing, only the knowing. So this this first this first of the worldly dharmas. When the pleasant arises, we fall for it, and when we lose it, we suffer, losing what you, you know. And the unpleasant, the, the, the activity of our organism creates suffering. When you mix the two, unpleasant and our organism, it's response, dukkha, which is the word that's used, the, the, the Pali word that's used. The second of the, the second of the worldly dharmas uh, is gain and loss, more and less. And of course, it's more of the pleasant and less of the unpleasant. Um, we prefer the hedonic tone of pleasant 
And our efforts are to sort of push things towards the pleasant. You know, even when, when it's less unpleasant. And this is a this is a great place to to when you when you find yourself wanting more to to study to watch in yourself the activity of greed and aversion because they're a play here and this is their play in the organism um, in the wanting of more you know more or less um, greed and aversion are available we want more, have all the good stuff. Think of all the good stuff. More people who share our political opinions. You know, we want, we want more financial resources, probably more money, more time. You know, less constraint on our freedoms. More, I mean, we got, you can think of what you want more of and what you want less of. And we get batted around by these things. The prospect of losing was one of the one of the uh, you know, being separated. Was, I only have four pages here. I just can't find my way. Um, separation from what is pleasing is unpleasant. The suffering in that first teaching. So loss, suffering. So the the negative sides of these are the the. Uh, Unpleasant sides of these are um, are dukkha, and these these four these four couplets, the first two we've done through so far, are the most complete articulation of the second foundation of mindfulness that I've found anywhere, because the second foundation is is mindfulness of vedna, of pleasant unpleasant, of feeling. And in the in the uh, the sutta, the Buddha says, you know, one is mindful of pleasant worldly uh, feeling and unpleasant worldly feeling and pleasant otherworldly feeling and unpleasant otherworldly feeling, and then he goes right on to the third foundation. It's like you know, six lines. First foundation, several pages. Third foundation fourth foundation, a lot of text, but the second one really short. The worldly dharmas are an articulation of that. So this is a, this is a place to cultivate mindfulness, <clears throat> these worldly dharmas, to notice the pleasant, the unpleasant, the greed and the, and the wanting more. You know, um, you know everybody... You know the studies where they've interviewed everybody about what income level would make them happy, and they almost everybody thinks, well, about fifteen percent, twenty percent more would be just fine. Doesn't matter what the level is, <clears throat> just a little bit more. I just, you know, and it's a great place to great place to to watch how that's working. And bring mindfulness to these. You know, this is one of the foundations. The third of the elements is praise and blame. Praise and blame, pretty much. Um, well, 
we like being praised and we don't like being blamed. <laughs> you know, it, and it's interesting because because in order for us it, being blamed is unpleasant. But being blamed can doesn't necessarily light us up. If somebody seriously accused you of being a Nazi, you'd think they're crazy. You just it wouldn't it wouldn't punch a button. If somebody seriously said you're selfish, you might feel a little bit more you know, might be more unpleasant. More unpleasant? Might be more unpleasant. So praise and blame are in us. It's not just in the blame, it's in our reaction to it. And praise and blame, interestingly, it's always about judgment. And judgment is kind of obscure. We talk about it a lot in Dharma, in Dharma settings. <clears throat> but to articulate judgment a little bit more, it seems to me that judgment is always rooted in some idea we have, a thought, about how things should be. And and then we compare our experience, our perception, with that idea, and judgment shows up. It should be this way, it shouldn't be that way. So there's a clinging to an idea here, a belief. You know, when it comes to ideas, clinging is believing, or believing is clinging. So there's this belief, this clinging to an idea that things should be in a particular way. And of course that obscures our ability to see just what is going on because we're paying attention to how it's not in accord with how we think it should be. So I was thinking about this idea about how things should be or shouldn't be. And it occurred to me that this is really kind of a formulation of an intention. You know, we sort of think that if the world were configured in a particular way, that um, there might be less unpleasant experience for us, you know. And, uh, and so our intention is to try to make the world in that fashion. You know, uh, so there's intent, and we think, don't talk with your mouth full. <laughs> well, you know, we do think that it would be, I guess, what? Maybe more <laughs> pleasant to be eating. So we teach our kids, world, you know, you should not talk with your mouth full. Yeah. Or whatever we, whatever our, whatever we think, you know, we shouldn't be hypocrites. We should, we shouldn't. Praise and blame. <clears throat> and that judgment, of course, is in ourselves, because what, what would be pleasant or unpleasant, what would be good and not, and, and, and not good, varies from one person to another. Do we want more 
Ed Snowden's and Bradley Manning's, or do we want fewer? And we'll we'll do some thinking about that and um, come up with another opinion to which we can cling. Praise and blame. Praise and blame uh, motivate us. I remember the first time I even was aware of it. I was walking at the end of a retreat. Uh, the Sharon was doing, and an, you know how you walk by people and you get these snatches of conversation that you know, it was just a great thing that I heard her say as she was talking to somebody as she walked by, and she said, "My job is not to be swayed by praise or blame." I thought, "Oh, what a, that's interesting." This was pretty early in my practice, and it was a, oh, well, praise and blame. Worldly dharmas, they move us around. And the anticipation of blame and and the search for praise, for pleasant, and the avoidance of dukkha motivate a large amount of our behavior. Mine, anyway, that I've noticed. Um, so praise and blame. The last of the the last of the the fourth of the worldly dharmas is translated is often presented, and you'll hear it presented as fame and disrepute. And I was not happy with that very early on because in in the current media environment, that's what that's. In the current media environment, you can be famous for being disreputable. And so I went to the Pali Dictionary and looked up the word yasa and ayasa. Ayasa is just not yasa. <laughs> they put an A in front of it to make it not. <clears throat> and I um, looked up yasa, and the general sense of the word in the dictionary that I got was just recognition. And the op- I'm sorry? Yeah. And the opposite would be disregard, being ignored, being, you know, and that's unpleasant. You know, when someone cuts you off on the freeway, they're just, that's disregard. Disrespect. Being dis, yeah. It is, and I think in an interesting way, because this 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 uh, this element of the worldly dharmas is about identity. Who are you? Are you even anybody? I could have been a contender, you know. It's it's who who are you? Who you know? Identity view. One of the first of the fetters. One of the first elements to go at stream entry. The recognition of you know the fabricated nature of self. But I'm, I think this also is built in. You know, as a neurologically animated robot, you know, we have an advantage over other animals because we've got this huge computing, you know, up, up here, and, and it, it 
functions to make us really efficient survival uh, organisms. And one of the ways that that we can that we that we become efficient at, at that is to be able to represent you know, to ourselves through sanya views, maps, stories, narratives, understandings, you know, to represent to ourselves the way things are, to map out abstractly, and to represent ourselves in that mix. We become much more efficient if we can you know, I'm here and I'm moving around. I think it, I just think that it's uh, if I do this, if I do that, then I think it becomes a survival advantage. And those of our ancestors who did that were probably generally over time more likely to. So I think this creation of identity is part of this organism's. Uh, pattern of behavior like Vedna or like Tanha. And it's in the service, of course. Um, but it, it, it does obscure what's going on because we believe the concept. We think there are nouns. Just because there are nouns in language doesn't mean there are any things anywhere. If everything is in process, remember Nietzsche and Anatav, if everything, everything is in process, then there's nothing that's really a thing. All we've got is a snapshot at a given moment. We call it a thing, an entity. But it's it's all... I seem to be a verb. Yeah. Well, Joanna Macy says, I seem to be an information pass-through, path, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but even you know, there's nothing you can say. This is, this is a pen. But really, that's a con- you know, you're seeing colors and shapes. You're thinking pen. You know, it's a noun. But but the the matter that's in this pen. I love the Zen tradition. They say, call us a pen. I'll hit you with it. Say it's not a pen. I'll hit you with it. Which is, I think I said last week, why I'm in the Theravada <laughs> tradition. Yeah. But the but the matter that that <laughs> the matter that's in here wasn't pen, probably even a year or two ago, and God knows that in a, a few million years it won't be looking pen-like. It will disperse. I one of my I I tend to hang out on the NASA. Uh, website and there's this little video clip that um, uh, a couple of astrophysicists talking about. Um, well, they they're talking about um, the creation of heavy elements in exploding stars, and the only place where you get iron in this universe is in a supernova, and you got it in your blood. And all the iron in the hemoglobin in your blood came from a supernova somewhere. So, you know, things, and there are no things. But identity view, we do think of ourselves as an entity. And we, we, we want 
to be recognized as such, even if it's fabricated, which is why it's, it feels good when people recognize us, to be seen. Well, and, 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 well, but, but it's, but, you know, we, we do feel more substantial when people are saying, you look great. Or even if they say, you know, you look lousy. However you think you are, you know, are you old, young, smart, dumb, attractive, uh, whatever, however, you know, however you identify who you, who you are. We like to be recognized, and we don't like disregard, suffering. So the negative, the, 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 the positive sides of these are not so much of a problem, except that they don't last. <laughs> you know, so pleasure, gain, praise, and recognition don't last. And the, the other ones are on the way. And they work together. They, they interpenetrate. They're sort of a basketball, too. You know, they, um, success comes with praise and recognition, comes with pleasant experience, presumably. So the worldly dharmas motivate us. One of the reasons why they are pointed at as a foundation for mindfulness because our reactivity to pleasant and unpleasant, uh, to Vedana in the, in the chain of dependent origination, following Vedana comes you know, Tanha and Upadana, comes clinging and grasping and suffering because you can't make it stop. You, know, you can't make it stop. It's impermanent. The moving finger writes and having writ moves on. So I think it's, it's a, a valuable tool to recognize the worldly dharmas as they operate and to study how, how, how they work, how we work. And a little bit of a map is helpful, I find, uh, in in you know, exploring new territory, because the conceptual map does help. It's not useless. One of one of my friends was talking about uh, a Tibetan friend of his who was learning English. I can't remember if I just told you this last week. <laughs> can't remember what. I, and, and and his friend said, "It's amazing. I didn't realize until I learned English how many emotions I had." <laughs> Because the map that we use helps us look and see. I did say it was one of the Zen patriarchs who said, you know, if you have a, if you have a, if you if you understand something, all you've got is a concept, and if you don't understand it, you're ignorant. And the concepts help us find our way. So I find the the worldly dharma is a helpful tool. The concepts of the, in in being able to recognize. 
uh, pleasant and unpleasant experience in ourselves, how do we know praise is pleasant? Right. We can feel it. It's a direct knowing. It's a direct knowing. And so the worldly dharmas give us a chance to directly experience pleasant and unpleasant and their role in um, motivating our activity and in our in our satisfaction dissatisfaction. <coughs> Please. Yeah. This is actually really interesting. There isn't a word in the Uh, I'm interpreting it that that way, but I don't know because I it, it's a it's all hearsay. It's the same with with uh, musical pitches. You know, there's an infinite range of pitches, um, and we settle on a particular frequency to be A. And then, after a while, if you've been making music for a while, you can hear A. You can can recognize it. <clears throat> you know. Um, so we do the same with with other senses too. Any other comments or questions about about this, please? That's part of the. It's part of the benefit of, of mindfulness because if you watch, you can see it happening, and you don't get reactive because you're busy watching. The more intensely you can attend to what's going on, the less reactivity. Or when you even notice the reactivity, you don't need to bite. You know, you don't need to take the bait. You know, pleasant experience or the prospect of pleasant experience functions as bait for us. We we're hooked. Yeah, a lot of envy. 
I, I tend to I tend to see fame actually as a composite of recognition and praise, or recognition and uh, blame. So so disreputes feels like a composite rather than that's which is why I like to render yasa and ayasa as um, recognition and disregard rather than fame and disrepute because the worldly dharmas are are a basketball and they are. There are, they, they, in, our, in our life, we experience them as composites, often. Yeah, blame. Shouldn't be that way. Disrepute always involves that negative judgment. You know. Yeah. daughter's 12 and we're buddies so I I I, uh, I know I know what you're talking about um, some of this you know we just don't want other people we don't want our loved ones to suffer and some of the lessons you know are you can't you can't Yeah. So you know how to work with it. What I do is is uh, to pace her and to just be present for the suffering part too, and and com- have compassion. Don't get so excited. You're going to you're going to see um, Taylor Swift tonight. Don't get so don't get so excited. It's because it could be a lousy concert. And you might the cab might break down and you might not get there or Oh. Well, I'm not either then. <laughs> yeah. I think that's Well, I think I think that may have to do with with teenage brain. <clears throat> and uh I'm not the neuroscientist, but that's I read National Geographic. So there's a lot of there's a lot of chemistry going on, and it may just not be something you can rein in. You know, um, <laughs> and then we identify with it. identification. Self occurs around tanha. Tom Wolfe, in, in his book, I Am Charlotte Simmons, takes us in. I, I haven't taken a neuroscience class, but I've walked into one through the eyes of Tom Wolfe at, at Duke. And the, the professor was saying, we are like a pebble that's, being, that's tossed across a room that becomes conscious halfway across the room and says, I want to go that way. 
<laughs> you know, the hormones kick in and all of a sudden we go, I'm horny. We identify self arises around tanha. Tanha arises. And then self and the object of desire arise together. And some of that is just, it's just the organism and we keep them safe as best we can. I don't know what else to say. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there, the, yeah. Well, there are people who do, because envy kicks in. Should not. You got to control yourself, don't you know? So that it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Oh. Well, one of the things that, that, that this is bringing up is that one way to work with it is to, to you know, um, get your mudita on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anything else? Well, thank you for your attention. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. No, I'm here in a couple of weeks, and um, then she's here on the 18th. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.